Let's start a brand new series, can we? This is going to be good. Let me start with a question. Have you ever had anybody just like snap on you? Like they totally flip out on you. Yes, yes I know. Me too. Like parents, let's be honest. Sometimes we're the ones guilty of it, aren't we? Because our kids drive us, and they, our emotions with them can be you know, so one way or so the other way. Like one minute with our children, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You're doing such good things. You're making such good decisions. You're going to change the world. And then four minutes later, you're like, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to drive you to juvie myself, right? You know juvie. Juvenile, okay, this is metals. You know juvie. So, uh, we, but they make us crazy. My mom, I got to tell you a funny story. So my mom raised six kids really on her own. My father passed away at a very young age. Um, I was 10 when he died, and uh, I'm the youngest of six. And I have one brother and four sisters. And one of my sisters, this is probably just a month or so ago, she was at my mom's house kind of helping my mom just get organized. And my mom, lets, <laughs> my mom tends to let mail pile up like for months on end. I don't know why, but she does. So my sister is, uh, and mom, if you're watching, I love you. But yeah, anyway, it's true. So my sister was at her house helping her just kind of organize and put stuff away and get rid of stuff, declutter. And my sister sends me a, a, a picture of a, a piece of paper, like a ledger, that my mom would keep track of different financial stuff on a piece of paper. So she sends it, and she says, Monty, look at this. This is hilarious. And my mom's ledger... This was, this was, had my name on it. So th this, these were expenses that I, as her son, w was causing. So she wrote down, um, this, I was, I was, looks like I was a senior probably in high school. She helped me pay for a tux rental on October 27th. It must have been homecoming, I'm guessing. Monty's tux rental. And she wrote the amount. Af after that, this is weird, she said, pay off bet, comma, baseball game. So apparently my mom and I were betting on baseball. So I'm going to ask her about that. That seems weird. Uh, December 19th, my senior year, uh, pay Monty's minor consumption alcohol fine. <laughs> my mom must have been so proud. Merry Christmas, Mom. You know, four, six days from Christmas. So, so it's written right on here. I don't know. Okay. And then um, four months later, uh, April 24th, guess what it says again? Pay Monty's minor consumption fine from alcohol. Another one. Two and four months. Do you make your mom as proud as I make my mom? Okay? So, so she writes this down, and my sister texts me. She says, look at this. And she said, she said, we would kill our kids if they were doing stuff like this. And she's right, kids. We would. So, um, but it's just so crazy the things I put my mother through. And she, one minute she would be so proud, and the next minute she would flip out. There was a time... In the life of Jesus, when he completely flipped out on someone he loved, he would, he would, he would like, he'd go a little crazy on people that, well, he loved everybody. But people, the, the people that really drove him crazy and caused him to really uh, lose his temper in a righteous way were, were religious people. I mean, he'd flip tables, he'd braid whips, he would get really ticked off. He would, he, but there was one time when it wasn't the religious people, but it was one of his best friends that made him so mad so mad that he completely flipped on him. And my question was, what would, what would it take, like if I was the best friend of Jesus, he's Jesus, right? He's love. How could you make somebody that upset? But Peter did it. And Peter, and, 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 and as I unpack this story right away, you're going to be blown away at what it was that made Jesus completely snap and flip out on Peter. Listen to this. I'm preaching in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. He wrote down some stuff he saw Jesus doing. He didn't know he was writing a gospel. He didn't know he was writing the Bible through, Jesus, or through the hand of God. He was just recording stuff, and God put it in his word because it was God's word. This is what he said in Matthew 16, verse 15. They're walking with Jesus, and Jesus asked his 12 friends the most important question you could ever be asked. You want to know your purpose? Know the answer to this question. That's where purpose begins. Jesus says, who do you guys say that I am? They've been walking with Jesus for a while. They've seen him do amazing things. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. It's the first time anybody's ever declared this out loud. 
And Peter did it. Peter said it. Jesus replies, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn it from any other human being. So now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The first time Jesus ever has referenced the word church. I'll build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus makes a bold statement around Peter. Now, it's not that he's going to build his church on, on the foundation of Peter, the person, because Peter's a fallen human being like you and I. Jesus would never do that. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, on faith like yours, I'm going to build my church. On, on statements like you just said, the truth about me being the son of God, I'm going to build my church on that, on that truth. I'm building my church. Imagine Peter all puffed up. He's like, yeah, I nailed it. I got it right. And so, so Jesus continues and he says, from this, it says, from this day forward, Jesus, after that moment, started talking more candidly. He started talking more openly. Truth needed to come out, especially with his best friends. And he started to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer terrible things at the hands of the elders, hands of the priests, the, the religious people. Remember the people we talked about? And then he said he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. In one fell swoop, Peter goes from the, the, the best of the best to this statement. Peter looks, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him or reprimand him. You would think that Peter, before he made this decision, he might say to himself, self, is it a good idea to rebuke the Son of God? But he, Peter didn't ask himself that question. Peter just did it because he's on a high. He's like, I'm on a roll. Let's do this. And he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Lord, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, this will never happen to you. And Jesus flips on Peter. Jesus turns to Peter Get away from me, Satan. Wow. Moments earlier, on this rock, I'll build my bride of Christ, my bride, my body. Moments later, you are the... I've been called a lot of things, okay? But I've never been called the prince of darkness, as far as I know. So, he is called Satan. The only time one of these... The only time Jesus ever says this to somebody is Peter. You are a dangerous trap for me. Why? Jesus, we have a question. Why is, that, why is that such a dangerous trap? And Jesus says, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus flipped out because Peter had a worldly mindset, not a kingdom one. And that ticked Jesus off. That made Jesus really mad, really upset. And if that makes Jesus upset with Peter, we to ourselves should say, gosh, what, what's our mindset? Because if, it, if it's that big of a deal to Jesus, it should be that big of a deal to us. I'll ask you an easy question. By show of hands, how many here are human beings? You're a human being, okay? A few of you don't, okay, welcome to earth. I'm glad you're here. So um, there's some that just won't raise their hand. And by the way, if that was you, you were actually right this time. So I applaud you. Because we tend to think in our worldly mindset, we're human beings. And we're having some sort of a spiritual experience in this world. It's not true. You're actually a spiritual being. Did you know that? And you're having a human experience in the world. That, that's what we are. That's, what, that's how we need to start thinking from this day forward. See, when you have a kingdom mindset, you see the rope up here. I'm sure maybe you've noticed it. And maybe you've seen an illustration like this before because this isn't original to me as much as I'd like to take credit for it. This, this little red piece right here is, is, is you and me. This is our life. All this before is, you know, the thousands of years before that's happened. And all this after is the trillions of years that are coming. The kingdom of God, you know, eternity, which is very real. Very real. Jesus talked about it a lot. This is your life. This is you, and this is me. And Jesus is desperately trying to get us to understand something. Stop living for this. 
stop focusing so much on this. You, you, Peter, you, you're worried about, Peter, you didn't even hear what I said. I said I would die, but I would rise from the dead. You don't even believe that, Peter. So you're just focused on this little tiny life. My 33 years right here, Peter, you're not focused on all the years after. See, this, this is, when you have a kingdom mindset, when you have a kingdom mindset, you're going to have different morals, you're going to have different values, you're going to have different goals, something's going to be way different inside of you. Now, we hear late, lately and recently about revival that's happening, and it's awesome, revival happening in Kentucky and uh, surrounding campuses and around the world, and, and, and that's awesome. I love it because it's given people this, this, this zeal and this awakening for Jesus, and that's great. Some people are even getting in their cars and they're driving there, and if God tells you to do that, you should do it because we should always listen to what God tells us to do. But you see people lined up on the outside of these buildings to get in and get a glimpse of what God is doing, and what I want to say to you is this. Revival is not effective if it just stays on the outside. It isn't. Revival becomes effective when it moves on the inside. See, when it changes your heart, when it changes your mindset, then you will start to live differently. You will start to act differently. You will start to talk differently. You will start to live differently. You will start to give differently. That's revival. Revival isn't something that you just attend. It's something that you live. And I have nothing again. I love what's going on. But I... But to go and leave and be the same makes zero sense to me. None. And I'm not even saying that's happening. I'm just saying I don't want it to happen. I want a kingdom mindset. We want a kingdom mindset. Jesus was so, Peter, how could you, that's what you're focused on? This, this is what you want to give your life to. This. This. Why? Peter, Satan, he says. So, I got to tell you this story. I recently read a book, and it, uh, gosh, it was about, it wasn't really even a, a, a biblically-based book, but it was. I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was about these Harvard grads who uh, wanted to dive deeper into their relationship with God, and it turned out to be something that uh, really blew my mind. Um, so there's these Harvard grads, and their goal, after they got to Harvard, and their goals were to make money. Right? Their goals were to make, a, what, six figures, they said, when they got out of college uh, and retire at 40 and just ride off into the sunset, right? And, and, and that, was, that was what they wanted to do. But they started getting into God's word together, and they started to go deeper, and God started to show them some things, and it was so revealing. Some of the things they already knew, some of the things I was like, wow, I didn't know that. So what they, what they found out right away was as they start reading the Word of God, front to back, Old Testament to New Testament, they learned that there's like 500 and some verses that pertain just to prayer. Isn't that amazing? Prayer is a big deal. I think that any church would say, yes, we want to be a house of prayer, just like Jesus said we should be. 500? The same amount of scriptures, approximately, for faith. That would make sense as well. Your faith is what saves you from hell. So that would make sense that um, it would be talked about a lot. But these guys were very, they were, I mean, they were young and hungry, focused on income and money. So they dug into the, 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 the money scriptures, and it stopped them in their tracks. Talked about four times more than faith, four times more than prayer, twice as much as love. Jesus and the Old Testament writers, through the hand of God, would talk about money and stuff. And they were intrigued. They're like, interesting. God's, and they love God. And, and, and they said, I want to know more about this because if God says it's important, we want to dive into it. So they start reading all 2,350 scriptures. That's how many have to do with, with money and, and, and possessions. One of them, this is one of, well, 2,350, says this. Matthew 6, 19. This is the words of Jesus again, by the way. Jesus said, hey, Stop storing up your treasures on earth where the moss can get them and the rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moss and rust can't get them, thieves can't get them, break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You maybe have heard that before, 
I pray, my prayer today and this week has been that we will hear it in a different way, in a fresh way, in a new way. It's, it's the main point, though. Whatever has your heart is where your treasure will flow. I'm really not even telling you anything you don't know, right? Whatever has your heart is where, is where your treasure is going to flow. Jody, when we started to date, and Jody was just, she had all of my heart, and I'd do whatever, and whatever it took to get Jody. And, and I remember, I was, man, I'll, Jody, remember when I was going to the diamond room and buying you all kinds of nice stuff? Remember that? You do, don't you? Okay. Ear, diamond earrings, diamond necklace, bracelet, ring, rings, all these things. In fact, it was kind of funny. It might have been just Valentine's Day. Jody's like, honey, are you ever going to maybe, you ever think about buying me like nice jewelry again? I'm like, Jody, you've got me now. I mean, what, what, come on. It doesn't, all right. Remember the main point? Where your treasure is, what was it? Where your heart is, whatever has your heart is where your treasure will flow. It's with it. It's, 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 Again, that's kind of common sense, but you want to hear it. So back to the book that I read. The, the, the two Harvard grads, after all their studies, all their Bible digging into, they noticed three things. Three things that, that people who were like maybe giving or generous or they didn't seem to live, they weren't really living for this, but they were living more for this. There, there were three things that they kind of narrowed it down to. These, are, these people that, that, that lived this way, they had a kingdom mindset, and their mindset was based on these three truths. Number one, they viewed their money and possessions as truly being God's. All of it. Everything. The, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a mindset change. God, it's not just, it's not just 10% is God, or, or this is God's, or that's God. Everything. Their car, their homes, their jobs, their career, their body. You are a living sacrifice. You've been, you've been bought, paid with a price. That's what the word of God says. The, the people that really understood this, that, that were really like giving in a way that, that God talks about in the word of God, they really said, it's all God's. They, they, they said it and they believed it. So scripture backs it up. It's always good to do that in a church. So Colossians just listen to Paul as he writes to a church in Coloss and to you and I. Through him, God created everything, say everything, in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in an unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Everything is God's. It all is. Whether we claim that or not, doesn't. well, it does matter, but it's all God's. Your number one purpose, Sarah talked about it last week. By the way, did Sarah Bettinger bring the word of God last week, or are we blessed? Man, we're blessed. So he, taught, he, he said that our number one purpose is to glorify God and love him forever. That is your number one purpose. That is my number one purpose, to glorify God and love him forever. Let's go a little Old Testament. Just, just, I love this, the message paraphrase in Deuteronomy. Listen to what it says. If you think, this is when it comes to it's all God's, remember? If you think, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this. And all by myself, I'm rich. It's all mine. <laughs> okay, the laughing isn't in there, but the rest is. So, well, think again. Remember that God, your God, Gave you, that, gave you the strength to produce all of it, to produce all that wealth. It's all from God. It's not from your, the, the reason you can go to school, God helped you make that happen. The reason that you have that aptitude, God helped make that happen. So God, very early on with the Israelites in the Old Testament, God instituted something called a tithe. And he said, it was, it was, it was for the temple, it was for the priests, it was for the people, and it was for the giver. Like, everybody was to benefit from this. And, and, and it was a way to keep their heart connected to God so they don't, like, drift away and think it's all mine when God says, no, 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 just remember whose it is. So the tithe was they would, they would return 10% of their income to the, to the temple. And they would do that, and it would, it, again, it would help keep things in order, and it would keep their heart right. They're like, okay, it will remind them. Okay, I'll give him 10%. It's all his, but he gets 10, and I keep 90. So God did that. Now, today... People will debate, is the tithe still in effect? 
do we still have to tithe, or is that Old Testament, or is it New Testament? And, and really, it, it doesn't even matter where you fall on it, because even if you say that, we don't, that we're not under that covenant anymore, well, the Word of God says give according to what's in your heart, and we just determined that, you know, whatever has your heart is where your treasure will flow. So, oh, by the way, I always tell people, Jesus raised the bar on everything else, everything, from the old covenant to the new covenant. But are we going to say that somehow in this area, I think, I think he lowered the bar. I think we can give less, but we miss it because we think that Jesus is trying to take something from us. That, that's, what, that's what I thought, and you might, you might think that too. And if you do, I, I'm glad you're here. But everything Jesus taught is for you. I'll remind you again, everything Jesus teaches is for you. That's what these, that's what these, these grads were figuring out. So, so uh, the, the, the Harvard grads, they determined that the baseline for giving was 10% that you return, that you give out, that you're generous with. Now, to hear, and most people, most givers would say that's the baseline beginning point. But let's go back to reality. 2% of American Christians give anything. So 2%, of, and I'm not judging anybody. If you don't give nothing, I'm, again, I'm glad you're here. You were me most of my life. That was me. So, but, but 2%, 2% give to kingdom advancing causes. That means 98% of what people have stays here. It stays right there. And this is what God desperately wants us to know. This is what Jesus desperately wanted Peter to know. Peter, you're in the way. You don't understand. There is a kingdom beyond this world. There is a world beyond this world. There is a life way beyond this life. But, but, but 98% of what we make, so, so honestly, we don't have a kingdom mindset. We have a worldly mindset. And that's, that's what's normal. But Meadows, you're not normal. And neither am I. We don't want to be. So that's why I'm so excited to bring you a word of God. 2,350 scriptures. So, and, and you know why we do this? Do you know why I did this most of my life? I'll just point the finger at me, the most, probably the most selfish person in the room. So the reason I did this is because I assume that, well, if I give, give some away, that's less for me and my family. That's less for my retirement. That's less for, it was all about me. But I didn't have a kingdom mindset. I had a worldly mindset. I wasn't investing in this. I was investing in this, which Jesus said, moss will eat that. Rust will destroy that. Everything you have, everything you own, think about this, will be in a junkyard someday. Everything. Everything. I don't care how shiny it is today. It will be in a junkyard. It is all here. And I'm not saying having things is bad. Timothy, Timothy even, Paul wrote that to Timothy. God wants us to enjoy the things he's blessed us with. But he also wants us to have a kingdom mindset as well. And you can do both. So, so here's, why I, here's why I invested in the world. I'll, I'll, I'll say me. I thought, um, this is what's going to make me happy. Having more will give me joy. The more I have, the more I get, the more joyful I'll be. Do you know what they found out in this study with these Harvard grads? The opposite is true. We hear this, but sometimes you don't believe it until you experience it. It took me having to experience it, you guys. And for a lot of people, it does. This leads me to point number two. Remember the mindset of number one? They, they, they just believed it's all God's. Everything I have, including my body, myself, it's all his. When, that mindset, when you have that mindset, it will, it will, I promise you, it will change. You will no longer live for that little red, that little sliver that the devil wants you to sell out to. You won't. But, but number two, number two, they realized this. Ex they expected, the people that were giving expected, say they expected. They expected it. They expected to receive a high level of joy when they gave. Like their expectation was, when I give, I'm going to experience joy. When I give, I'm going to experience joy. I wrote down, they were, bought, they were fully bought into the notion that being generous will make them better off in the long run. And maybe not financially, but overall, they would have more satisfaction and they would, ha they would have more joy when they give. And many of you, you know this is true because you've given and you know the feeling it gives you. And you know what it's done for you. So, so one of the scriptures that changed my life when it comes to my, my gener generosity, or in this case, lack thereof at this time, I, again, I, I'm telling you, I was selfish. Many days I still am. So, so when the pastor presented it to me, he was showing me the joy that I would get and the benefits. And that, because I'm selfish and I wanted that, 
it helped prompt me. God will use whatever he's got to do. I mean, so Malachi 3.10, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And you've maybe heard this before. When I heard this for the first time, I didn't think about like, I wasn't thinking, I was thinking about joy. Think about this. God says, bring all the tithes, that's the, that 10%, to the local or to the storehouse. And you can research storehouse. In fact, I encourage you to research the word storehouse. That means the local house of worship is what that means. So bring all the tithes there so there will be enough food in the temple. Well, there he says temple right there. So there is enough food in the temple. If you do, says the Lord of the heaven's army, I'll open the windows of heaven. And I'll pour a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. And I heard that, and I'm like, I want that. I'm, again, selfish. I want blessings. All those blessings, I can't even, I can't even take. It's too much for me to handle. I'll try to handle it. I want that. That sounds like a lot of joy. It is. I never believed it would happen until it happened. I'll talk more about that later. The truth is, when we give, it doesn't just bring you joy in a spiritual sense or an emotional sense emotional sense it's physical that's another thing that they they studied as they talked to other people in the medical field in this book i'll, I'll say something they give in the book where is it oh the truth is giving is good for you intentional and regular practices of generosity have been associated with the release of good chemicals including oxytocin dopamine endorphins meadows church you want to get high i should never say that to meadows church that was the wrong verbiage right there so but it, when you give, there is a chemical, physical reaction. Like Bryce. You got money? You got money, Bryce. You always carry money. Bryce got a lot of money. So you, you know this. Yeah. What do you, 20 bucks? I'll take it. I'll take it. So Bryce gives me 20 bucks. And don't think you're getting this back, Bryce, because you're not. So I, I take the money right now. Rushing through Bryce's body. Just look at him, how happy he is. The endorphins, the dopamine. And Bryce, the benefits of what you just did for me don't end there. It's more for you than me. Don't think it's about me, even though I got the money. So anyway, so listen. A lack of giving is bad for you. Those who don't give regularly have been found to harbor higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which, I didn't know any of this, which is linked to headaches, strokes, and depression. Isn't that crazy? Bryce, I might have just saved your life. I mean, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anyway, that's mine. So, um, so let, let's bring it back to center. Remember the main point? Whatever has my heart is where my treasure flows. You know that. With your kids, with your job, you get that. That's, that's, that's an easy thing to grasp. But understand this. Generosity, when we're talking about joy, Generosity is a joyful response from a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. That's what, from a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. Rather than seeing it as something I've got to do, we see it as something as a gift, something we get to do because we get to invest and we get to advance the kingdom of God. And that starts to change you when you start seeing, when you start seeing that you're not just, you're not just living for this. Most of it's this. Most of what's in the world is, I promise you, is this. When you start seeing it, it's about this and other lives and other people and your kids and their kids and their kids and people that you'll never meet, people that you don't know right now, but because you invest and give into the kingdom of God, you're impacting heaven and hell. It's, it's insane how much I live for that and how much I've lived for that probably preaching to me more than anybody in the room right now. Do you remember number one? They said, everything I have, it's God's. I'm just sold out to that. It's biblical. It's all God's. That was their kingdom mindset. Do you remember their number two kingdom mindset? They expected joy when they gave. They expected it. They expected to feel the joy physically, emotionally, spiritually. Number three, and this is, I don't want to say it's the biggest one, but if there's a takeaway from the whole book in a whole, as a whole, it's this, as they studied, as they talked to others, as they watched others as the way they lived their life, as they looked at their own lives as Harvard grads, they learned something. The bottom line was, was this, the more devoted that they were to Jesus, these two men, the more they gave. The more devoted they were to Jesus, the more they gave. And, and if you pull back on that, you're like, it does make sense. 
We're created in the image of God, right? God is the ultimate giver. We see it all over Scripture, which means that we're created to be givers. The more we devote to the ultimate giver, the more like the ultimate giver we become, the more like Jesus we become. I like to say it this way. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he changes your life. And, and, and what you give is just part of it, right? It's just part of it. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What are you saying? Don't, don't seek this. Don't believe the lie. I promise you when you're on your deathbed, if you get that opportunity, the only thing you'll regret is what you didn't give back to God. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. When you live righteously, you'll give generously, by the way. And he will give you everything you need. Many people don't give, not because they're some horrible person or they're greedy. They don't think they can. They have kind of a scarcity mindset, like I'm barely getting by, God, I can't do it. But that's why God shows us how this can happen. Number three was that the more devoted people, the, the closer they got to Jesus, the more faith-filled they were, the more their money and their time, everything flows after that. You get it, right? Whatever has the heart, there the treasure flows. Back to the main point. The more people sold out to Jesus, the more they gave to the kingdom of God. So we're learning a few things. We're learning them together. I wrote down, we're learning that handling money is critical to our relationship with God. It's crazy. It's the one thing we shy away from. And by the way, I, God, I, I, I always pray fervently, especially before messages where even the word gets brought up because people get tense. But, it's so, so, but Jesus didn't shy away from it. Spoke about it way more than anything else. It seems so crazy that we would shy. Like if you knew somebody that was committing adultery and they came to you and told you that, well, you'd call it out and you'd love them and walk with them and get them, try to get them help. But if you knew somebody who, who was maybe stingy or greedy, well, we don't say a word. We're not going to speak into that. How dare we get into their life? It's just, there's such a state. We have to erase it. The churches that are really thriving and, 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 and able to do amazing things in the kingdom of God, they speak about it often. Well, doesn't that make sense? Jesus did. You want this. And so many people get tense about it. I hope you don't. If you don't, if you don't ever give a dime to Meadows Church, look up here. I will love you. I will walk with you. I'll tell you that you're missing out on something. I'll tell you that. But I, I, I don't look at you any differently because that was me almost all my life. So I'm not judging anybody. I hope you don't hear that. I just want to give you the word of God. That's what I'm called to do. And this, I want this to be something that excites you because I promise you, once you lean into it, it will excite you. So, so I wanted to do, oh man, what's that one thing I wrote? God sees our finances and our faith is inseparable. That's what I was trying to get to with that. We want to separate it. Don't be talking about, you can talk about, you know, adultery, and you can talk about maybe porn, not too much. It's kind of touchy, but you can talk about these other things and addiction and sin, but leave my money out of it. No, <laughs> Jesus would say, I'm going to talk about it more now, you know, now that you said that, and he did. So I wanted to gauge, this is going to be fun, and you'll love this. I wanted to gauge the heart of where we're at as a church. I always say, I brag on us because... Because I truly think we're, we're the best church out there. And I don't want to compare churches, but we're the best church out there. So anyway, so I love our church. So I, I did some numbers. There's no names on here. Just a few. Bryce, yours is in here. But uh, um, So do you want to know where we're at giving? I don't talk about this enough, so you know where the church is when it comes to giving. Because a stat that bothered me in the book, and I've read this stat before, was this. 20% of your people in the church is going to give 80% of everything that funds the ministry. And I'm like, what? Two out of 10? If those, if those two leave, it, we're, it's, it's, we're in very big trouble. And I'm like, no, no, no. That, that might be average for churches, but Meadows is not your average church. So, so I did numbers and percentages just to show us where we're at, because if you don't know where you're at, how do you know where to go? So... Last week, we had 370 people in attendance at Meadows Church, which is awesome. Now, understand something. That's just one weekend. There's probably over 1,000 people that call Meadows their home. Did you know that? Isn't that awesome? 
over a thousand people easy would say, I belong to Meadows Church. You'll never get, you'll never get everybody. I mean, I don't even know if Jesus could get everybody to gather every, on a one given weekend. Okay, he could, but I can't. So, um, so that's just one weekend. We had 370 people last weekend, so I gauged it off that. So I went back for the last 365 days, and I calculated how many people, and this is, so this would be conservative, because we probably have over 1,000 people in the church. But anyway, let's just use 370 as the number. How many people gave last year? The answer is, is 178 gave something, even a dollar last year. 178 people. So, so that means over half of our church didn't give. That's pretty standard. I, I, I don't want it to be, but that's pretty standard. So Meadows really doesn't stand out here. So 48% of the, of the 370 gave something, a dot, whatever, you know, you get it. So, so the other 52%, nothing. So numbers-wise, this is just really crazy. Uh, okay, those who gave $1 to $500 last year, and you can, you, you'll probably know what bucket you're in, and that's part of this, to know where you're at. And understand something. These are just numbers. Somebody who gave $500 last year, they may be obedient to Jesus. That might be what Jesus wanted. Somebody who gave over 10 grand might be in sin because they're not, they're not giving what God wants. So, so don't, don't be like, oh, it's not just, so understand that. This is, just take it in context is what I say. So, so $1 to $500, where were we? 41%. So 41% of the 178. So 41% of the 178 gave one to $500. Uh, 501 to 2,500 was 26%. 26% gave that amount. 2,501 to 5,000 for the year, uh, 14%. So if you add those up, it's, it's, as much as I wanted to believe we were different, it, we're pretty, we're pretty on, poor, on par with other churches. I think this adds up to 81. So 81 gave anywhere from 1 to 5,000. So the, the last two, 5,000 to 10,000, 12% gave that. And then 10, over 10 grand, 7% or 14 people gave over 10 grand. So why show you these numbers? Because you should know. I, I, it's only fair for you to know. And again, if you're, whatever bucket you're in, maybe you're not in any of these. Maybe you're part of the 52% you've never given anything. Again, I'm not judging anybody. I was the 52% most of my life. Even in full-time ministry, I started to give, but it took me a long time to start returning God 10 and more percent. So, so I just share this so you know where we're at. Um, it's, it's exciting for me. Because we, we, we can watch ourselves. Spiritual or uh, giving is one of the number one indicators of spiritual growth. That's, that's, that's one of the big things we're learning here. But I want to be a very tra transparent pastor with you. Like me, Jody and I don't make the most money in the church. You don't go into pa pastoral ministry to make a lot of money. But, but my goal, my goal as the pastor of the church is to be number one on the list for giving. I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I, and I have been so many times. And sometimes I still am when I get up here and preach a message, maybe on parenting, and then go home and yell at my kids. And I've been guilty of that more times than I even want to tell you. But I'm telling you something. I want, I want to live by example. So Jody and I are third on the list. I don't say that, oh, look at us. Look at what we give. I don't, think we're, I don't even think we've been obedient in the area. Just being honest with you. We should be giving more. So... But my goal, I don't know who the two are in front of me, but I'm coming after you. I want you to know that. I want to be number one on the list, regardless of what we make. I don't care. I want to because I, I, I don't want anybody. I want to, I believe the promises of God, and I never, I never used to. See, I used to give because I had to, or because, because God said you should, like we're reading today. But that's not, how, that's not the reason I give anymore. God has changed my heart in this area. Like today I give, not because it's written in a book, I give because there was a day I was dead in addiction, dead in sin, dead in selfishness, and Jesus Christ like literally raised down, reached down, lift me up out of a pit and set me on solid ground. So I don't, he saved me from myself, so I don't know what else to do other than give it away. I don't want to, where is this, my life, my little pitiful, I don't want to live for that. I don't want to, and I don't want you to either.
It's not just about money. If you hear that, then I fail communicating with you. Because it's not. It's the heart. I wasn't giving because it wasn't because I didn't have any money. It's because my heart wasn't in it. And do you know what I've learned as a pastor? You can, when I preach on topics like, like, like uh, finance or generosity, many times, and I've shared this before, many times it will prompt people to start giving. And, and that's great. But if it's, if it's not a heart change, it stops every time. Every time. And it makes perfect sense. So I wrote it down because I don't want you to fall into that trap. I, if, it's not, if God's not moving your heart, then I'd say just hold off. Don't do it until maybe he moves your heart. Because it won't, it won't sustain. It won't happen. Where did I put it? God, it hit me. If you change your behavior without changing your heart, the change doesn't last. If we change our behavior without changing our heart, the change doesn't last. The reason the title is Everything Flipped is because for me, everything flipped. And I'm not, and I'm not perfect. And there's days I'm greedy. And there's days I'm not obedient. I'm not giving as much as God wants me to. And I, I, I hate that. I hate myself when I do that because I start to live for the red. I, start to, I sell out to the lie from the enemy. So, oh, by the way, these guys, they started their, their study by saying, how much, do, how much does a Christian have to give? That was kind of the, one of the answers they wanted to, or questions they wanted to answer. Do you know what flipped for them? At the end of the book, in the end of the study, their question changed. It wasn't how much do we have to give, it's how much should we, should we keep. They give most of their money away now. Well, they do that because they're Harvard grads and they're, no, no. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not so much about the amount. It isn't. I show you this to kind of show you where we're at as a church as a whole. It's about the heart. Like I said, you, you, you could be in this bucket and be obedient is all get out. You could. So, I'll tell you a story as we close. A pastor friend of mine in, in Texas, uh, probably two months ago, two months ago, he, he sends me a text and he, and he clicks a le- of a letter. And the... Uh, the letter, he says, hey, tell me when you get this in the mail. I'm like, okay. So, so I, I, I get the, the letter in the mail, and, and I open it up, and there's, there's a check in there. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. I, so I had to get the story behind it. So I call him. I said, what's going on? He said, there's a gentleman who was part of our church. He's in, he's in, living, he's in a living center, or what is assisted living center now, real sick, close to death. Uh, um, I can't remember what he has, but, it, but it's life-threatening, obviously. So the guy wanted to meet with him, and he says, I want to I give $50,000 away to a church or churches that you think have a, get this, a kingdom mindset. So he's sitting there having this conversation at an assisted living center, the, the old gentleman uh, who's dying, and his daughter's there too. And as they're having the conversation, they haven't talked about it ahead of time. And the daughter looked at the, her dad and said, Dad, we, we, we have plenty. She said, how about we give away 500000 And at that, my, my friend said, at that time, I got up and left. I thought, well, I better leave them alone to have this conversation. So he leaves the room, and they talk very briefly. He comes back in, and they say, we want to give away a half million. He said, I want you to pick churches, to my friend, pick churches uh, that have a kingdom mindset. Tell us a little bit about their story. Uh, you know, is life, life change happening? Um, glance at their website, see, because that'll give you a picture. So, so one of the churches is Meadows Church. And they go, to the, they go to our website, and he talks about all of our salvations, and he talks about our baptisms, and he talks about these stories of life changing. And, 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 and the old gentleman and his daughter said, that's one of the churches. So, so the check that they sent was for $45,000 that they sent to Meadows. Yeah, we, you should praise God. That's a blessing. That brought me joy. I asked him, I said, does that guy have any friends? I mean, no, I'm just kidding. So um, the guy did it not because he has a lot of money, but because his verbiage was kingdom. Who has the kingdom mindset? Some some churches don't. I'm not judging. It's just a fact. I don't want to invest in that dot. I want to invest in this. I want to teach more about eternity because that's where you're going to spend trillions of years 
in a physical body. I'm telling you, you are. Don't sell out to the lie of this world. And I'm not doing this message to get money from you. God, if you hear that, don't give. Don't give. Please don't give. I had three conversions. I think many people do. You know what they are? My first conversion was in my mind. It happened as, as young as I can remember, five, six years old. I was converted in believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And I've never strayed from that conversion. That conversion didn't save me, but it did set me towards salvation. I was saved 15, almost 16 years ago now when my second conversion happened. That was a conversion of the heart. That is when I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was amazing. I never dreamed I'd be called into ministry, but here I am. That was sal- that's when salvation happens, by the way. It's, it's not just a head knowledge, it's a heart relationship. Some of you, you have head knowledge, you don't have a heart relationship, and I love you. I pray for you because you're me. The third conversion, it's weird. The third conversion, and this, is, this isn't every case, but most cases, is money. It, it normally comes after the head, after the mind, and after the heart. And maybe your story isn't the same, but mine did. I surrendered my life to Christ, but I was still holding on to what, what I thought was mine. And slowly I started to give more and more away, reluctantly at first, because I thought I had to at first. Well, now I'm called to ministry, so I better do it, until God finally shook me. And he said, well, what, are you, what are you doing? Why, what are you doing? Why, why won't you trust me? You don't believe my scripture. You don't believe what I... Do you believe it? Why do you hold on to this stuff? Why do you invest in these things? And he got a hold of me. These conversions, these things, I want, I want to ask, where are you? Where do you fall? We can, can we put them back on the screen just for a bit? Where do you fall? Where's your conversion? Or have you had any of them? My prayer all week is that wherever you're at, you would take another step in this, in this uh, journey. But, it's, but, but it can't be because I said it. It's got to be because, because the Holy Spirit's working on you. By the way, when it comes to finances, Financial Peace University is something we do twice a year. And it's, it's a nine-week program that's Bible-based. The next one starts the week of March 19th. Jody and I did it. It was one of the things that helped us start to give back to God as much as we could. And we still don't do it enough. I told you that. If you're interested in financial peace or have questions, write it on the card, your Connect card. Again, it's a few weeks away, but we want to start gathering information now because God does miracles through that program. Jesus gave up everything for us. The riches of heaven, you can't fathom it, and neither can I. You'll have tangible rewards. That's a whole nother... People think, oh, there's rewards in heaven. Like, I'll get this cloud instead of this cloud. Now, no, there's tangible rewards in heaven. Heaven will be incredible for everybody, but it won't be the same for everybody, if that makes sense. Jesus had everything in heaven. Why would you give it all up, Jesus? Why would you give it all up? Because he didn't have you. So God sends his son to die on a cross. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to start in your mind. My prayer for you is that you will believe in your head that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world, that he was sent and he died a death that you can't die. You deserve to die, and so do I. But Jesus Christ died to cover our stain, our sin, our mess. And if that isn't covered, hell is your home, and it's mine. If it is covered by the grace of God, according to your faith, it will save you. And, and, and your, salva- your, your conversion will move from your head into your heart. That's when you're saying, I surrender it all. I don't want to live for that anymore. I don't want to live for that anymore. I won't get it perfect, God. I don't want to live for that anymore. I surrender my life to you. It is no longer my life, Jesus Christ. It is yours. Live through me. I'm a steward. You give me money, where do you want me to deposit it? You give me a home, who do you you want to sleep in it? You give me a car, who do you want me to give a ride to? It's all yours. You're saved by God's grace through faith when you believe. What step do you need to take today? And for some, you've sold out to Jesus, you've been baptized, you've been saved. 
but the generosity is a struggle. It is for most people. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. He knew we would struggle. He loves you so much. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray over everybody here today. I pray we, we I don't think, God, you have to talk us into the fact that where our heart is, there we will fund whatever where our heart is. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. We do. Whether it's worldly or not, that is what we do. My bigger prayer is heart change, transformation. God, I've lived most of my world for a little red sliver that will be gone. That will be gone. It is going to be gone, but something will stand forever. The kingdom of God. God, for those who maybe they don't even believe that Jesus is the son of God, transform their mind, convert their mind as I pray this prayer, God. I pray because it's got to start in the mind. It's got to start in the mind. And maybe some believe it, but they haven't sold out to it. They believe in Jesus, but they don't live, they don't do what he says. They don't live for him. God, a conversion of the heart needs to happen today. I can't do it. Others can't do it. Your Holy Spirit has to do it, God. Change us, change us, change us. And for those who this final hump is to trust you with, with finances, it could be just starting to give or it could be something else. I don't know. But what I do know is this. If, if there isn't an inkling of the Holy Spirit prompting it in the heart, it won't last so, so Holy Spirit, I, I beseech you in the name of Jesus Christ that you will change a heart, that you will, you will help somebody understand that, this, that the devil is a liar and a deceiver, and he has sold out his life to get us to commit on a little red sliver. It will be gone before we know it. We don't want to live for it, God. May we rebuke the lie in the name of Jesus Christ and live for truth. Hey, Jesus, to you, we can never thank you enough. Eternity, trillions of years, it's heaven or hell. There aren't any other options. The only way we go to heaven is through you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. For those that need to surrender their life to you, God, I pray it happens right now. I pray they pray with the prayer team. I pray they indicate. I pray, I pray, I pray cards are written on all over the place. Whatever you're doing in their heart, God, it might be giving, it might be the head, it might be the heart, it might be the hands, I don't know. But I hope they let us know so we can pray specifically over them. Father, have your way, do your thing. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, and we all say, amen. Hey, I wanna thank you so much for watching today, but don't stop there. I wanna invite you to like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, share this message with a friend. I mean, there are so many people out there hurting, struggling, and you have the ability to make an impact in their life. And finally, if, you're, if you live in the Omaha area, I wanna encourage you, come join us on a weekend service. We would love, love to meet you. God bless you.